Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 15 of the Inferno Suns podcast. I'm your host, Dana Scott, with my co-host, Patrick Batillo, a.k.a. Mr. Orange. How's it going, man? Hey, Dana, it's going well. How are you? Great, great. And always looking forward to talking with you. And the Suns are back, as well as the NBA. Preseason is in full swing. The Suns have had a lot go on, go on for the past uh couple weeks because of the Sarver investigation ended. We haven't had a podcast since Sarver said that he's going to sell the team in light of the backlash he received for his $10 million fine and his uh, suspension for one year from the NBA. And people said that that wasn't enough, as well as Jay Crowder wanting to leave. DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams still have not talked about their rift on the uh, bench for game seven during game seven uh the western conference semifinals in the playoffs last year uh so there's a lot to speak about including the sun's performance in the first two games of the preseason they lost to the adelaide 36ers not the 76ers the 36ers and people were big mad about people like myself saying that you know, there are some missing pieces, including Jay Crowder. And not to hate on him, not on hate on the Suns. I'm just saying, there's a big, big void with Jay Crowder, and it showed the first two games so far. Absolutely. And so Jay Crowder, he brought his defensive – he's known for his defense. He's known for his physicality. Toughness, yep. Toughness, three-point shooting. And even campaign said – uh, after the game on or after practice their open practice on Saturday for the fans at the footprint center that Jay was a talker a big talker and the communication element was totally missing on Sunday's game versus 36ers to a point they got smacked 134 to 124 by the Australian NBL team with has players such as former Shadow Mountain standout Craig Randall and these players, some of them are trying to get into the NBA. And these, this is a, a Suns are former n- number one overall seed in last year's playoffs. And they're getting smacked by the 36ers. But then they came back and you were at the game last night in Vegas uh, where the Suns beat the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James, 119-115. What were your takes on the first two games, Patrick? Yeah, Daniel, you know... Uh... Concerning, let's just say that uh, when you put both games together. Uh, yes, you'll hear it's preseason. Uh, games are different. Don't matter. We don't play starters. I'm, I don't look at that. I look at what quality minutes do we have when we're in and how do we look in Joe? And so 
for me, it, it's very concerning where we're at from a execution and chemistry perspective, and it all starts on the defensive end for me. So uh, the defense with our starters uh, does not look good. Uh, rotations are uh, continually off through the first two games. Uh, the effort we're getting, you know, out-hustled by each of the opponents that we're playing. Uh, the adjustments for what we need to change on defense is slow uh, when it is happening, um, and it's, it's, it's concerning. And then DeAndre Ayton's inconsistency, again, I'm a huge fan of him as a person, but uh, his effort on the court and his lack of consistency has been a frustration point for myself personally, and I'm sure many fans. And that showed again last night. We get the news, there's no AD. Uh, so to me, that that is a green light for just like it should have been for DA to go in and dominate. Um, and he did everything but that. Um, you know, anytime he faces any type of body uh, being body contact down in the paint, it's a continual fadeaway instead of attacking the paint. Uh, and then most of his uh, fadeaways yesterday didn't fall. And so uh, what was the biggest concern for me when you talk about our starters yesterday in particular is to start the second half um, the Lakers had none of their starters, I believe. Uh, definitely not their core guys. And we had all of our starters, you know, minus obviously the injured uh, Cam Johnson. But uh, we come out and the Lakers build their lead. And it's not until our starters come off and our bench comes in that they chip away at that, um, you know, led by a few guys that we'll talk about. But um, so if you're asking me that through the first two games, is there time? Of course. But with all the offseason noise, drama, et cetera, I'm huge on chemistry. And I don't see that chemistry there. And that is a concern for me, especially with um, the expectations on this team and also how we open this regular season. So um, highlights there, right? And, there, and there's some of that with some of, of you know, the non-starters or non-big you know big names on our squad, which is great. But overall, um, concern would be the word I would use coming out of these first two preseason games. Yeah, and there's only four preseason games, right? There's only four. So... Are there five? I believe there's five. Okay. I know we have one more home. We're on the road, I think, in Denver. Yeah, you um, got the Nuggets and you got the Kings. Yeah, so maybe four, yeah. Yeah, so the thing is, is that when I see the bench in the first game, that's the biggest concern, wondering how much depth do they have. I and mean, that's what really got them through the 2021 playoffs is the bench. Um, Cameron Payne, Cam Johnson, um, you know, those guys really stepped up as well as, you know, Tory Craig. I mean, these are guys that really uh, put the Suns over the top. Dario Saric, of course, you know, until he got hurt in the 2021 finals game one versus the Bucks uh, with his torn ACL. So those are the guys that were heavy in the rotation. And you see Cam Payne, he only played one minute because he got hurt last night. But Dario, he showed up last night. And because money actually put him in, he didn't play him at all in the first preseason game against the 76ers. Dario had 12 points in 16 minutes. And so he's four for seven and he hit a three um, and got to the line a couple of times. So the thing with the bench is who's going to step up and place a crowder. That's really Ish Wainwright's role. I think he's a two way contract guy, but Ish Wainwright said yeah. last year, he wanted to be Jake Crowder 2.0, you know, yeah. he's a big guy, big chest. Yeah. And, you know, he's a smaller guy. I mean, he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, uh, Jay Crowd is about 6'8". But, but he's built like a tank. Yeah, he's built like a tank. He's a former tight end, you know, at yeah, Baylor. Yeah. You know, and so uh, the thing about Ish is that 
I think he has to get more confidence. You can see him hit him in practice. I go to the Suns' practices all the time. He's always hitting corner threes. And so when he gets in the game, he doesn't really apply what he does in practice as a shooter. And I think he can do some other intangible things, and he could be more vocal. I mean, he's vocal off the court. He's a jokester. But I think that Ish could be that guy if he really could step up as Jay Crowder off the bench and give in about, you know, 20 minutes a night, you know, maybe even, you know, 18 minutes and really just bring in some efficiency. Last night he was a plus 16. I'm looking at the box score yeah. here because I didn't see the game because I don't have NBA TV. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but you saw he had a steal, assist, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. two rebounds, and, you know, one personal foul. So he was a plus 16. And Yeah. But he was over two. So it's like – when he gets the ball, he needs to be more uh, effective, I guess. And he's not really a slasher. He's more of a spot-up shooter. I think yeah. that Jay Crowder was really that. I mean, if Jay oh, Crowder yeah. was a guy who worked on a floater last year and he basically was a quarterback of the backside defense, uh, like Monty said, and Ish just has to be that guy who – has to step up and be more of a communicator because the Suns got worked on the rotations. The defensive rotations were so terrible. They were so late on the switches. And the oh, yeah. And they couldn't even – the perimeter defense was horrible against the 36ers. And well, it, and it was last night again. I mean, it, that, that's the reality. So that's what I want your opinion on, Dana. Talk to me about game one. I know you and I spoke about it, but, you know, give me your take because there's a lot of opinions on that. Uh, but uh, I know we had a good conversation about it. So, you know, give me your insight on what you thought about game one. Yeah, game one uh, against the 36ers is a huge concern in many ways because, yeah, sure, they only had practice for five days beforehand, but you know, or six days if you want to include the open practice with the fans. But um, And I don't really count that because it's kind of more an entertainment thing than it, 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 for the fans because, you know, 12,000 people came to see them and roar and the whole pageantry of it all, the Suns are back. But the thing about having – no rotations, you know, well. And then you have guys who really just, you know, obviously the starters only played 22 minutes and the preseason is more for the bench to see how well they dwell and step up. I mean, how, how much they gel and step up. It's more about can they do the things that can help the starters basically stay out of foul trouble and come in and keep the momentum going. And they didn't have any momentum at all. They didn't have... And in the Suns, of course, they had a lot of uh, people that, you know, guys that were unsure about uh, if they're going to have Kevin Durant come in or not. But, you know, this summer, I think when you have the newcomers like Shamit, who's got a four-year deal still, he's in the, the first year of his four-year deal uh, for $43 million. And you got Ish on the two-way, you got Torrey Craig. I mean, those guys are basically – the returnees that should know exactly what they're doing. And this veteran team, this is a veteran team playing against a pro team in Australia that should not really be doing what they did, shooting 20 th 22 threes and 22 turnovers. And the Suns had 16 turnovers and the Suns still couldn't beat them. Now, that's a problem. You got 22 turnovers and you still can't you know, beat that team that's committing that many turnovers and giving up the ball. And the Suns scored what, 30, the Suns the Sun scored, I believe, 43 points off those 22 turnovers. 
Now, that's a problem if you can't close it out, right? And the Suns are playing catch-up all night to the 36ers in double digits for most of the game. Now, that is a problem if you're trying to establish a statement that you are back after all that's happened in the summer, you know, with the Sar Sar thing and things that are, you know, with the Aiton thing and, and also when it comes to the Jay Crowder thing and just to make people know we are back and last year is behind us, game seven. There's no layover with that loss, you know, when Luca torched us. I think that is the issue if you're going to establish people's understanding that this is a team to be reckoned with. Now, the Lakers, yeah, they played some catch-up. I like what they did last night, but they can't keep winning games like this playing catch-up. And that's my issue with the Suns is that, you know, they aren't the underdog anymore. And so when you are not the aggressor and you're basically just playing one half of basketball, like the Cardinals basically playing one half of a, a, a game, then you're not going to win playoff games that way. You're not going to beat the top teams all year that way. You're not going to – I don't expect the Suns to win 64 games that way. I don't expect the Suns to win 64 games this year at all. I expect them to be basically in the late 50s, if anything, the way that they showed how they are playing in the first two games. Does that make sense to you? Or does oh, – yeah, what, what's your what, What's your projection of, of, of how many games the Suns can win this year? I think uh, 50. 50? 50. And they won't be a top seed uh, as they were a year ago. They won't be a top seed. I, I don't believe that they will be a top seed without Jay Crowder as the guy who does the intangibles, who does, you know, the he, he brings the physical presence in the paint against the way he can depend, defend bigs. He's not um, – I don't, I don't know if anybody's going to step up and be that veteran presence that Jay Crowder was, and they need that veteran leadership. And so – the Suns will probably end up buying him out if he doesn't get traded. And I'm, I don't understand why they don't have a trade on the, the books right now. Um, but I, I really think that the guard play is stepping up. I saw that Damian Lee coming from the Warriors. He had 11 points last night, and he shot well, four for eight. Um, and Shamit, he's played well, and he shot, you know, six for 11 and five threes, you know, five out of seven threes. So if he can keep doing that, great, and give Booker a break. But if the starters are really, really going to have to find a way to make this gel with the bench, and the bench is going to have to find a way to build themselves well and get confidence in my system and give at least a good – I mean, the starters are playing an average of just over 20 you know minutes in these preseason games. These bench guys got to play at least – you know, 15, 18 minutes and really bring, keep the momentum going. But I don't, I just don't see it. The Sun, yeah. I, I just see the Suns are getting, they're getting lucky rather than getting, you know, being the aggressors and, and pushing this in, uh, to the point where teams are playing catch up to them. Yeah. And, and look, I don't even care about the top seed. Honestly, I mean, I'm, and just a stats perspective I, I don't buy into it but as you know now the last six seasons the top seed hasn't made the NBA finals uh coming out of the Western Conference so um not that that is an indication obviously that can always change but uh to me it's important to make sure we make the playoffs at a respectable seed and we're healthy 
and we're playing the best brand of our basketball. That Those are the things that matter. And how that comes up, uh, about, regardless of if we set a franchise record for the most wins, we have the best record, that, that all – it doesn't do anything for the end goal of winning a, a championship. So um, I'm sure that will be Monty's focus. I think it's going to be very interesting to see now, especially with, uh, you know, Cam Johnson injured and campaign, um, you know, the whole of Jay Crowder is even bigger now where when I say whole, he's still on the roster. Um, and so what is that going to look like? What are we going to do with that? I think the Draymond Green situation from yesterday, not that they're going to want to get rid of him, but the fact that they're not paying him, you know, I would love to have him here. Of course, you don't love playing against him, but um, I think that's the exact uh, leadership that someone like Aiden needs in the locker room. Um, so again, not that any of that's going to happen. That's just Mr. Orange in his fantasy world. But, um, you know, there's a lot that needs to happen still. The pieces aren't all together. And and look, adversity gets faced. That, that, that's it. I'm not saying throw the flag up. This is horrible. I'm, I'm calling it as it is. I still don't see the consistency in DeAndre and, and the aggress- aggression that he has to have yeah, he's he has a, to have that. Period. Yeah, he's a, he's avoiding contact more than initiating contact still. And yeah, and, and it makes five no years sense. in. Yeah, five years yeah. in. Yeah, he's and, and you got last paid. Night. You're gonna come out. You're gonna do what you need to do, and you're still not doing it. Like it's not okay for me. And and I want to say I lit, I looked at my my friend that was here at the game with me, and I said it was the exact. There was a shot that there was a rotation. He didn't go out to a three, and, and it's not that he doesn't go out to it. He just like puts his hand up and like you know just looks at him instead of closing out, and they nail it. And that's a deja vu of the exact play that he had when he started jogging back the other end mm-hmm. in game seven that him and Monty had the exchange and he came out. It was the same type of defensive rotation he didn't have. And again, it's not all on him. I'm just saying, like, we can't have a game where there's a mismatch like that for DeAndre Ayton where he comes up and lays a dud. Like, yeah. that, that, and that inconsistency is the issue. Like, that has to change, DeAndre. Like, that is that is that for him. Again, it's not all on him, but we're talking about what does DeAndre Ayton need to do and what are the expectations? The expectations have to be better, and, and you must play better. Right. He's drop, He's not drop-stepping to, towards the dunks or not drop-stepping towards the, on the block towards the hoop. He's actually jumping in the opposite direction on the jump hook to finish plays on mismatches. And I'm noticing that, and I'm like, come on, man, this is the fifth year and you're still doing this? Like, those are things that I notice about DeAndre and that I'm wondering if he's ever going to have that aggression and breaking old habits like Mikhail Bridges was saying the other night uh, about uh, the Suns' performance against the 36ers. And so uh, those things – and Cam is going – Cam Johnson is, is, is going to be a good shooter, uh, but – I'm wondering who's going to step up now that this finger is, or his thumb is injured. It was his thumb was what got injured last night, right? Against the, the Lakers? Or was it Cam yeah. Jo- yeah, was it yeah, his thumb. His, his thumb injury? So it, it, it's on his shooting hand, right? I, I that I don't know. Okay. So I'm thinking that with Cam Johnson, let me let me look at this here. because uh, I believe Dwayne Rankin, my colleague at AZ Central. Yeah, he did. Uh, he, he wrote. Which, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He wrote about these guys. You know about the the injuries of Cam, and uh, and also with the, both the camps. You know, campaign and Cam Johnson. Uh, so yeah, right finger sprain for Cam, pain, and for Cam Johnson, it was a right thumb sprain. So for so yeah, so that's a shooting hand. So that's concern. You know who's going to step up and shoot uh, like Cam Johnson? Not everybody can shoot like Cam Johnson, but he's the former Sixth Man of the uh, Year finalist, and 
who's going to be the guy that's going to you know, take his spot. And that's probably got to be either Ish or probably Dario to move into that four spot. And Dario yeah. can hopefully, you know, be the guy that can make, you know, efficient uh, shots. And But Dario is not really a guy who, who, who can, like, really hit shots on – on a slasher type of, you know, and, and, and bang and, and, and dunk like Cam Johnson does. Uh, and, I'm, and so we'll see what Dario does. I really, really hope the best that Dario can come in. But I like how I, – I really like how, how Damian Lee could be the guy in, in Jeff Landale. He, you know, he could come in and give Aiden the breather that McGee was basically – coming in last year to keep DeAndre out of foul trouble. They're going to need a guy like that. Yeah, I, I think there's good and bad, you know, when there's this type of situation. The bad is we don't get to build the chemistry and see what that's going to look like, so that's big time. Uh, the good is we're going to get to see what other guys can bring, and they're going to get that experience leading into the season and not, like, from a summer league or a camp, uh, you know, minutes that are going to let us see who is is what um you know and last night I was a huge fan of uh you know you and I talked about it so we can get into that as well yeah um but yeah um so I'm excited to see you know what some of those guys can bring and and look I think Monty's still figuring out the rotations and especially backups because you have Dario he doesn't like to play too many bigs you have busy um and, and so there's there's a lot going on still that we have to figure out yeah, I'm just still mad about Busy complaining to the ref at halftime about missing bunnies against the 36ers. Like, come on. Like, oh, yeah. oh, you're missing bunnies against the 36ers and you're complaining to the female ref. I mean, really? Like, yeah. you're, you, I mean, you're, you're a what, a 10 year veteran? And, or, or it's, it's, it's long enough where you know you should be making those shots and you're doing lefty and righty jump hooks, you know, for putbacks and you're missing them and you're complaining to the refs in a first preseason game. And so, he didn't. He was a coach of scratch last night, um, and so I'm just thinking if Biombo can come back and help out with some of the defense because the Suns had the third best defense last year behind the Celtics and the Warriors for first and second uh, spots respectively, and I think that Busy is a guy that not only can do the putbacks, but he's a guy that could come in. He can guard bigs on the perimeter and can help out with his speed and his, you know, lateral quickness, as well as some of the other guards down low. Uh, I, I mean, other bigs down low. Those are things that we really need for Busy to step up, as well as Jock Landale as the rim protection that McGee really provided last year. And they're not – he, he doesn't have that this year. He's actually going to start with the Mavericks. Uh, but before we go, we're going to talk about the Sarver stuff. The Sarver thing, obviously, it's put a damper on the season when I – or to, to start the season because they're looking for a buyer, wondering who's going to pay the Cam Johnson extension for, you know, the rookie extension for him. Uh, because he's due for a rookie scale. They have to have it done by October 17th. And so what's the Sarver thing in flux uh, and Sam Garvin as the interim governor of the Suns, who can be the guy who makes the decisions on giving Cam Johnson the rookie scale extension? And can Sarver 
really, really get the right buyer to basically put this whole controversy to rest within six to nine months? Well, I think absolutely. Um, Sarver's out of the picture. I mean, that's it. Because he, he'll have sold before his suspension's over. He can't have any decision-making. So to me, it's, it's going to be the trust of uh, really, in my opinion, it should be just letting James Jones do what he needs to do, um, which is that's his role, right? And so he should be able to make those decisions. And I, I would be shocked if anyone vetoes that in the middle of a sale of the team because uh, we have to move forward, right? And so I think um, it's going to be the the craziest bidding war of any sports team ever. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see who we land, um, you know, as, as our next owner. And um, yeah, I think it, it needs to be business as usual from that perspective. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure James Jones is the right guy to lead us through that. And, and I would be shocked if anything different comes as a result of that. Right. And I saw the Baxter Holmes report that the Suns are projected to have the highest sale price ever for an NBA team. And it could take six to nine months for Sarver to sell the team to a suitor. Oh, yeah. uh, so uh, who could it be? I, I mean, we I, I'm wondering, <laughs> like, man, who could it be now? Oh, I mean, the list <laughs> is extensive. So to me, we should worry about that in a few more weeks or months when we know factual because uh, there's so many names out there but it's like who is genuinely interested in part of that so right. um, again at the end of the day for Robert Sarver um, culture is everything and, and you and I've talked about this and me personally with my career and my uh, brand and what I do uh, in, in the professional world uh, culture is everything when you're the owner or leader of any team organization you have a uh, obligation to uphold and and Robert did not do that nor meet that um, even without the allegations just not you know a, um, a friendly person if you're just seeing the guy crossing the street um, and and that was total opposite of the culture prior to him which made that piece stand out you know 10 times because if, if there was a previous owner that was similar or not as you know Jerry Colangelo esque um, it wouldn't be as obvious or glaring. And so, um, you know, from, from the day he stepped in, you know, from a culture perspective, you know, with your wife working there, um, it, it was different and right. not in a positive way. And so <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, um, this change is going to be great for the culture of the organization. And I'm talking down to, you know, the guest service team members um, that, you know, do everything for our experience as fans um, that are impacted by the culture of the owner. So yeah, right. um, going to be very exciting uh, to see who it is. Um, and I am, am very uh, optimistic and, and cannot wait. But again, that's not going to be tomorrow that that takes place. Yeah, I need a Steve Ballmer type guy. I guess, oh, right? my. <laughs> did, you see, did you see the yes, Steve yes, Ballmer in Seattle? In Seattle? Yes. <laughs> He's screaming. You need, a guy, you need a rah-rah guy. And I'm just oh, yeah. Yeah, man, I, I just really, really like a guy that could not feel like a Gargamel at the top of the hill with his crazy, you know, nasty cat. You know, I'm referencing the Smurfs here. And I, I feel like oh, yeah. the, Sun, the Suns fans have been like Smurfs for the past 18 years or more, right? or, or, or at least 10, you know, since they were having that decade uh, without being in the playoffs. And the Sarver 10 years started with the seven seconds or less Suns. And ended with the 2021 Suns that went to the final. So it started and ended 
on good terms for Sarver, but then in the middle, it was just all tarnished. It was so, so toxic, as the report read in that 43-page NBA, 43-page uh, uh, NBA report. And it's just obviously with what my wife went through, along with many of the other employees of that toxic culture, not directly with Sarver, but just with so many horrible bosses that were there. And I had to deal with it firsthand every day when I first moved here in January of 2018 with her until she left in August of late that year. And I'm just really, really hoping that the Suns get somebody that has a really hands-on owner like Josiah, the Nets, uh, or somebody that can give a very, very strong sense of we belong to a happy, fun arena and fan base, and we are going to really serve this fan base and this team with the respect and love that it deserves as one of the winningest franchises without a title until they get a title. Absolutely. That, right. And then the DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams standoff. <laughs> I mean, yes. are, are, are these guys, it's almost like who's going to blink first. And, I, you know, they, Monty denies it. And, and really, you could tell it's basically like, I want my dad to talk to me, but he don't want to talk to me. You know, it's almost like Monty's treating him like, uh, and I don't blame Monty. Aiden must have said something. You were there when you saw the rip. You yeah. texted me that night at game seven. Aiden yeah. must have said something really uncouth to for, make Monty not want to speak to him privately and congratulate him for getting that, you know, max extension to bring him back. Not even give him a, a congratulations or say, hey, man, congratulations on, on, on coming back. I mean, we're li really looking forward to having you and putting this behind us. What is your understanding and what is your take on this going forward? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Uh, I haven't spoken to Monty about it. He's not a fan of discussing this. Um, so as you said, it, it's tough for these reasons, right? As a coach at the NBA level, you have a control, but very different than like my control at the high school level. Like if, if we have culture issues, uh, I don't play you, I cut you, you know, we address it, but it's like, right. it won't just be something that continues. When you're in the NBA, your, your team decides and your GM who is going to be, you know, part of your team and, and you have to then coach to that. And so right, right. that makes it a little unique. Can Monty not play him and things? Of course, but is that going to result in... Um, you know, backlash or, or other drama. Yes. So it's yeah, different. Yeah, right. You got to play him now because yes. you're paying him that much. Yeah. And, th and that's where Monty, again, it's, it's unique because they don't have the control that many people may believe they do or don't. Um, but then you have the human element of a man. So Monty is very much a great human, uh, a godly man. Like he has been through a lot. He treats people well. So I don't know the full context. Uh, all I know is what I've heard. And so him saying, yeah, he didn't speak to him and other people. That to me, as the man he is, that was a little concerning to me because you know you're dealing with a very young man. You've lived a very long life compared to DeAndre in a very different life. And so at, at, at that point, I would, as I do with my athletes, I would help mentor them through it. It doesn't make whatever he said right. But I, I would be, and I'm not saying he isn't, but from the context and what I know, the way I perceive it, I would be the bigger person to have that conversation. One, addressing whatever was actually said. Then two, again, congratulating him. That's huge for him. Um, he's a big part of this team as of now, whether anyone likes that or not. And so you as the leader of the team, as a coach, you, have, you should mend and build that. 
And so from what I have seen in the comments I have read, I don't see that that has happened. Right. And for DeAndre to speak about it the way he has, as, as immature as people may call him, and he may be in, in situations, I personally believe he has some hurt or, or feelings there that he hasn't reached out because the way he addressed it in the media to me was, you know what I mean? That, that could be why he did that. Yeah. Because he's a little, bit, a little bit hurt you know, by someone he probably respects, even though he said something he probably shouldn't have or regrets or whatever. And has he apologized? Obviously, probably not. But again, and nonetheless, like someone has to, like you said, who's going to make the move first. So again, from what I know, um, I think that's where if I were money, and I have been in that situation plenty of times with, you know, my young student athletes and their maturities or what they're dealing with in their lives and uh, being that figure for them that Monty is and should be for uh, his team, that that's a piece that I would like to see or know happen. Right. And I'll say this uh, before we sign off, that DeAndre Ayton on media day last week, on Monday, September 26, he looked like he was really despondent and he just was really quiet and short with answers to, to the questions of the reporters. And he said something that really stuck out to me that him and Monty can relate to because Monty always talks about being there for his players as a father uh, figure, but also uh, as a guy who players can come to for advice about kids. DeAndre said, I have a son when he answered a question about what drives your energy. And he says, I have a son. I save my energy for him. So obviously DeAndre is a mentality like this is work and this is what I do at home separate from work. And I commend that because I have a, a daughter, a new, you know, I'm, I'm a new father and I understand what it's like to save your energy for your kid. You know, and basically your work is your work and your home life is your home life. And you do your best to basically balance the two because yeah. you don't want to let things affect you in the way that they used to, because it's not all about you anymore. And Monty can relate to that. He talks about it as a father. Uh, not just as a coach, all the time in the media scrums. So that's one thing that they can get on a, uh, a balance uh, and, and really figure out how to navigate working together as a unit rather than just separate factions within the same locker room and on the road together for the next seven to eight months. And that's what's really going to really help their chemistry is helping their number one overall pick get happy with the guy who's supposed to be the father figure for all these players on this team. And DeAndre's maturity shows and commend him for being a father to his child because a lot of these NBA players, <laughs> a lot of them got issues with baby mama drama. Let's just say Oh, that. yeah. Yeah. Well, this concludes episode 15. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check us for episode 16 soon. And thank you, Patrick, for coming on all the time. And we'll see you at the game uh, against the Nuggets. Yep, next Wednesday. Thank awesome. you, everyone. Be safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.